At some point in time we will see how Arjuna asks of Lord Krishna, Oh Lord, please describe in detail your vibhutis, your glories. What for? Keshu Keshu Dhaveshu Chintyosi Bhagavan Maya. Oh Lord, please reveal to me what are those manifestations of yours in which I should meditate upon you. So that the purpose of describing the glories of the Lord is for the seeker to meditate upon God. So it is accepted here that for the purpose of meditation so I can think of God. The idea is that I want to think of God. And so that is how also Arjuna asks. Uh, so, All the time thinking about you, O Lord, how can I know you? So idea is that in order to know the God, a constant thinking about Him is necessary. Or let us say, constant meditation or thinking about Him is necessary. And this meditation requires some kind of an aid. At least for a student who is beginning, the student or the seeker requires a certain aid to be able to meditate upon God. We will see here as Bhagavad Gita describes, or Bhagavad Gita unfolds God, <coughs> is God is unfolded both as immanent as well as transcendent. Immanent means one who is who pervades everything, who is manifest as the whole universe. When we say the Lord is both the maker as well as the material. So material, like clay is the material of which the pot is made. And so we can say that the clay pervades everywhere in the pot. So this is a typical example of pot made of clay. So wherever the pot is, there the clay must be, because clay is the material from which the pot is made. And so clay is called the material cause. And it is a material cause, and the pot is called the effect. And that we will also see in Swamiji's talks also, because Swamiji talked about the cause of the creation, etc., where all this will be discussed in greater length. But as we know very well, in order to create Something such as a pot, we require these two causes. One is what we call the material cause, such as clay, from which this pot is made. Other is what we call the intelligent cause, the efficient cause, such as a pot maker who forms the clay into the pot. Clay itself being inert cannot form itself into a pot or any other form. It requires a conscious 
intelligent entity to form into if uh, to form into a meaningful or a useful name and form or useful object so thus we recognize that we require at least two causes material cause and efficient cause it is material cause that pervades the effect the efficient cause the creator is always separate from what is created like a pot maker is always known to be different from the pot which is created but it is the clay which is always in the pot wherever the pot is that is where the clay is wherever the effect is that is where the material cause is never as material cause the clay pervades the pot we can say that the clay is imminent as far as the pot is concerned so material cause pervades the effect it is imminent in the effect so we are told here that god is both the material cause as well as the efficient cause as material cause he is the very material from which the whole universe is made it's very amazing he is the very material like clay from which the whole universe is made and that is how he pervades the whole universe that is called the immanence so god is both immanent but then somebody may say well if god is manifest as this universe does it mean that there is no more of god other than universe because when the clay becomes a pot that's all there is formerly the clay was in the form of a lump and from the lump we made a pot so there is no more lump all we have is a pot similarly also if god is the material from which the universe is made then we take material called god and it is shaped in the form of the universe and now we have the whole universe of names and forms does it mean that there is no more god in the original shape just as there is no more the clay in the original form of the lump it is not available only as a pot or a pan or whatever similarly also if god were the material cause that form the material from which the whole universe is made that means that god is no more available in his original form is it how it is the answer is no that god is material cause all right but a different kind of a material cause a material cause which becomes a effect without undergoing any transformation i know that this again will be discussed at greater detail but still i want to mention that because it does inter- i mean interest in what we are going to do here discuss here that clay is the material cause it undergoes a change to become the pot but when we say god is the material cause of the universe that god is the material from which the universe is made then we say that god is such a material cause as does not undergo a change to become the effect now this is something uh, you know something unusual something different in as much as god remains god he remains limitless he remains infinite he remains whole and still forms a material from which this universe is created understand the universe is that which has a which has a beginning and therefore it also will have an end and therefore it is constantly undergoing change and therefore it is limited in time and so the universe the creation is limited anything that is a beginning is going to have an end is naturally in the influence of time and therefore is limited now it's very interesting the cause is god is limitless 
and what is created is limited. So limitless becomes the cause of the limited or limitless is the material cause for forming limited. Understand that. Limitless God becomes a material from which limited universe is created. This is something baffling, is it not? So, how, how does it happen? How does it happen that God becomes the material cause for the, for the creation? Is that God is a kind of a material cause which does not undergo change or transformation to become the effect. Have you know an example of such a material cause? I'm sure you hear it every day. What is this talk example of Vedanta to explain the material cause which does not undergo change to become the effect? The rope snake. In fact, even clay pot also can be said to be example, but still, rope snake. What is there is rope and we because of because of darkness, because of inadequate light, there is some light all right, but because of inadequate light, the rope is perceived as a snake. That is what we call a delusion of snake or a projection of snake. We say that that snake is created. Snake is a creation. And what is the cause of that creation of a snake? The rope is a cause because the snake has the, the length of the snake is equal to the length of the rope. And where the snake is, there the rope is. The curvature of the snake also the curvature of the rope. And therefore, in every way, rope is the cause of the snake. We say the rope is the material cause of the snake. What kind of material cause? Without undergoing any change. So rope without undergoing any change creates the snake, becomes a snake or appears a snake. So it's not a real creation really. This is a real creation. In the real creation, the material must undergo change to become the effect. But in not a real creation, like the creation of snake from the rope, which is not a real creation, there the cause does not undergo a change to become the effect because there is no real creation. It is an appearance. We say that the rope appears as a snake. It is that kind of a creation that universe is as, as will be discussed. Which means that God appears as the universe rather than having become the universe. So this is very important. The clay has become the pot. That's one kind of creation. Whereas in the case of rope snake, the rope appears as a part. That is another kind of a creation. So, when we say that God is the material cause of the universe, what kind of a creation is it? Not that God has become the universe, but God appears as universe. We can say that the rope pervades the snake. Where the snake is, there the rope is. Length of the snake is the length of the rope. The rope pervades the snake in as much as snake cannot be without the rope. We say that the clay pervades the pot. Remove the clay, there is no pot. Similarly also, the rope pervades the snake. Remove the rope, there is no snake. Similarly also, remove God, there is no universe. In that sense, God or Lord 
pervades the entire universe. So wherever the snake is, there the rope is. Wherever the pot is, there the clay is. Wherever the universe is, there God is. Therefore, Upanishad says, Sarvam Khaluidam Brahma. All of this is indeed Brahma. All of this is indeed God. All of this is indeed limitless, appearing in this form. So limitless, appearing as a limited creation. This is how Vedanta explains the creation. It's very important. Otherwise, if he became this universe, then there is no God, no limited God remain, no limitless remaining now. In which case, then there is no uh, goal in our life, because we are seeking the limitless. If God became the universe, then he has become the limited universe, then there is no more limitless. But that's not so. Remaining limitless, he appears as a limited creation. Just as in, ca- in case of the, the dream also. Without a real dream is a projection of my mind. And how I appear as a dream world without becoming the dream world. And similarly also, Lord appears to the whole universe without having become or having undergone any change or transformation. That is why we say that he is immanent in as much as he pervades the whole universe. Wherever the universe is, creation is, there God is. At the same time, he transcends the universe also in as much as he has not undergone any change. We say that the rope pervades the snake. At the same time, the rope transcends the snake in as much as rope remains a rope. <coughs> so immanent and transcendent. It is not that there are two gods. It is one alone. The ultimate truth is only absolute. But absolute alone appears as relative. So we have this creation, which is what we call relative. Then it will explain, it is called mithya or apparent. Like a snake is an appearance. So the universe is relative, is an appearance. It is mithya. And that is also God. But God is not confined to the universe. In his true nature, he transcends every limitation, and therefore in his true nature, he is transcendental. Saguna and Nirguna. Lord with attributes and Lord beyond attributes. So these expressions we know, Saguna and Nirguna. Guna means qualities, attributes. Saguna with attributes. Nirguna without or beyond the attributes. So Bhagavad Gita describes God in both this. This description of God began from the 7th chapter. We are going to discuss the 10th chapter. And it has some relevance to what has gone by in the earlier chapters. Then in the 7th chapter, Lord Krishna started the discussion of the principle of God. And there he made this statement. Matrah paraparam nanyat kinchidasti dhananja he dhananja he arjuna there is nothing other than me. Mai saramidam protam sutre maniganayava Everything is woven into me just as a cloth is woven into the thread or just as a necklace like a pearl necklace is threaded into the thread similarly also the whole universe is threaded into me or the whole universe is woven into me like the thread declaring that the cloth is woven into me which means that what is cloth is nothing but myself the thread alone appears as a cloth because remove the thread there is no cloth so also Lord Krishna says I am like the thread in which the whole universe is woven 
while discussing the seventh chapter we said imagine a cloth and an embroidery in that cloth from the same thread so how in an embroidery so many patterns are there all those patterns are created from one thread alone remove the thread all the patterns disappear one by one and it is one thread making up the whole pattern all the patterns of the embroidery similarly also lord krishna says i am that thread making up all the patterns of this creation mountains is one pattern there also i am rivers another pattern there also i am trees are yet another pattern there also i am heavens is another pattern there also i am earth is another pattern there also i am gods are another pattern there also i am demons are another pattern there also i am cold is one pattern that i am bad is another pattern there also i am what are the patterns we find in the universe lord krishna declares that i am that thread and that very being who manifests all these different patterns these different patterns in the universe are like those patterns in embroidery and how in from one thread all the patterns of embroidery emerge and so also god is at one thread from which all the patterns emerge so this is a vision that everything is god and this is our way to recognize god everything is god in the fifth chapter also lord krishna told us how can everything be god you mean this the human this this fellow is god this animal also is god the bird also is god inert also is god sentient also is god everything is god so in the fifth chapter lord krishna said what is the vision of the wise people panditaha samadarshinaha wise are those who are able to samadarshinaha who do darshana who see samam who see that which is common or universal in all of them so no doubt what we confront is a world of forms and variety and diversity no two things are identical in the creation no two things are identical everything is different from everything else but even in all these variety and diversity there is a unity in all the dissimilarities there is a similarity in all the disparity there is this oneness so this is the vision of god that is the disparity also him at the same time the oneness and the disparity also is him just as in all the diverse ornaments of gold the gold is that which is common in all the diverse waves the water is common in all the diverse pots and pans the clay is common and similarly also in all these diverse names and forms god is common one who sees that he really sees so this is a theme that lord krishna unfolds almost throughout bhagavad gita vidya vinaya sambandhe brahmane there may be a very pious person very sattvic person pure person gari then there is a cow there is an elephant there is a dog there is a there is an outcast so from the very pure to the most impure in the whole range one who appreciates that there is only one principle only one entity or one lord abiding in all of them who does not in any way get affected by so all these are various costumes so purity impurity all of these are nothing but the the attributes of the costumes but the one manifested through the costumes remains totally unaffected by them like an actor putting on different kinds of costumes and how he remains unaffected by the various roles that he plays and similarly also 
God comes in all these various roles, millions and countless roles. Every name and form is nothing but manifestation of that God in a given role, in a given costume. So every name and form serves us like a costume for the manifestation of the Lord, who is one appearing as many. The same appearing as dissimilar, the limitless appearing as limited. Ananda, the wholeness appearing even as pain and pleasure, all of these are appearances of one. And to recognize God as such is what is the purpose in our life. <coughs> of course that requires, when can we recognize that? When can we recognize the same manifesting through all the dissimilar? When can I recognize one goal in all the various ornaments? Only when the name and form the ornament is of no consequence to me, then alone I can focus, I can appreciate the goal. When different parts and pans and different sizes and shapes come, when can I recognize one clay pervading all these different vessels or different parts and pans? Only when the form and the name and the use of a given pot or a pan is of no consequence to me. That means when I am indifferent. When can I recognize the actor acting as a beggar? What I see with my eyes is only a beggar, I still recognize an actor there. The same fellow will come as a king, what my eyes see is a, is a king, and still recognize that actor in there. So when can I recognize the actor many functioning through or acting as a beggar and acting as a king and all these different roles? When can I do that? When I am indifferent to the role, is it not so? When I am indifferent to the costume. When I am not, not impacted by the costume. Then when I see the beggar, when it creates, normally when I see a beggar, it creates one kind of reaction in me. When I see a king, another kind of reaction. When I see a sadhu, another kind of reaction. So today, when I confront different names and forms, each one of them impacts me and creates for me different kind of reaction. Depending upon my own structure of likes and dislikes. It is not that reaction is same for all the people. Somebody sees a beggar and, I mean, different people see the same person, beggar. Somebody's compassion is invoked from that person, looking at the beggar. Somebody says, what is this fellow doing here? Hey, he is a healthy person. Why do you beg? Why don't you go and work? That's the kind of reaction comes from somebody else. Somebody says, Swamiji, this fellow are all rogues. They are not beggars, they are all rogues, you know. That's another, that's another kind of reaction. So how same thing invokes different kinds of reactions from different people, depending upon their dispositions. Even one goal lying on the, uh, on the, on the, uh, on the uh, road while I am walking may invoke different kinds of reactions. A multi-millionaire may not even care for it. Somebody like me might say, oh wow, it's gold, you know. I look around and pick it up. And some renunciate, looks at the goal and walks by. Same thing invokes different kinds of reactions into different people depending upon their own composition of mind, their own composition of what we call likes and dislikes. So as long as my mind is riddled with these attachments and aversion, as long as my mind is riddled with what we call likes and dislikes, with variety of demands and insistences, so long all that impacts me is a variety. 
when is it that that sameness will impact me? A goldsmith, regardless of what kind of an ornament you take to that goldsmith, it doesn't matter to him. When I go to a goldsmith to sell an ornament, there are tears in my eyes because, hey, do you know goldsmith? This ornament, this bangle was given to me, my great-grandmother, you know, is very precious to me. So a goldsmith is just gold. So when only one becomes indifferent to the appearance of names and forms, that is, when one becomes free from what we call any demands, any attachments, any expectations, any likes and dislikes, when the mind becomes like that, that is when the mind will contact the same in the dissimilar, the one in many. As long as the mind is riddled with attachments and aversions so long, that many, that variety, the appearance alone impacts me and I fail to appreciate the one or the similar in the dissimilarities. And therefore, even to appreciate God, that's all there is. As Swamiji says, we don't have to believe in God, we don't understand God. For the very simple reason that if God was someplace else, let us say, He was not here, He was in the heavens, then it's a matter of belief. If God was someone away from us, and there's no experience of God at all, then there's a matter of belief rather than anything else. But here, as Bhagavad Gita tells us, whatever there is, is God. If this is so, then it's a matter of understanding rather than believing. But when can we understand that? When we have a mind which is prepared for that understanding. And therefore, some kind of a change or transformation is required within me. As far as my own mind, my own perception is concerned, it is a change of perception. It is a process of becoming slowly and slowly, becoming free from my, free from my attachments, aversions, what we call emotional problems, gain, gaining what we may call emotional maturity. How do we do that? By meditating on God. What's the, how do I become free from likes and dislikes? When, as I say, I deliberately shift the focus of my attention from the costume to the actor, from the name and form to the content of the name and form, from the appearance to what is real. When I deliberately shift my focus, that is how I can become, can become free from likes and dislikes. This is not so. If I remind myself, hey, this is friend all right, but this is Narayana, this is God in the form of the friend. He is an enemy. But again, let us say that it is Lord in the form of an enemy. Suppose God is beloved to me. Suppose like God is Krishna or Rama or any, any, you know. So Krishna is beloved to me. I remind myself that hey, Krishna has come as my friend. He has come as my enemy. He has come as my mother. He has come as my daughter. He has come as my friend. He has come as good, bad, indifferent, sinner, saint, whatever, same Lord is there. That is, they are all different costumes, but the one manifesting through costumes is one alone. As I keep reminding myself, then it will be possible for me to shift the focus of attention from the costume, from the outer appearance, to the one that manifests in that appearance. And therefore, 
the, the only way to become free from likes and dislikes is to bring in God in our life. There is no other way. Inasmuch as we accept God, as we say, it is the creator, sustainer, dissolver. In the fifth chapter, Lord Krishna said, Suhudam Sarabhudanam Gnatvamam Shantimruchyati I am the Suhud, I am the well-wisher of all. So God is looked upon, God is accepted as a benevolent creator. Not just a creator, not a mechanical creator, but a benevolent creator. And that is why knowing his glories, knowing he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, he is a creator, he is ordainer, he is the karma adhyaksha, he is the one by whose grace all the actions take place, karma faladata, he is the one who dispenses of the results, he is the one who is the benevolent order. Thus knowing his glories enables me to meditate upon him, think of him. At this time, right now it is very difficult for me to think of God coming in as an enemy. It's very difficult. When my enemy comes, somebody who hates comes before me, it's very difficult for me right now to think of him as God. So in the beginning, I require something that inspires my mind. In the beginning, for me to think of God, it is necessary that I think of him in something that inspires me. That's why we have temples, that's why we place our worships. Why do we have that? Sometimes in our home also this kind of dialogue takes place between husband and wife. Wife, in the morning after the morning thing, you know, she, she leaves home and, and takes around in India, temples and temples everywhere. So I remember my mother and my mother also, after finishing all her morning chores and morning prayers and everything, then she would go out. And for an hour and a half, she would go to a variety of different temples. So that's good also, that is their outing and then their own time and everything else, which is nice also. But anyway, they, that's how women spend a lot of time in going to temples and doing worships, and sometimes men get irritated with that. For simple reason, they are not available, you know, because when she goes for a temple, you know, so having darshan in a temple, she's not home. And that means she's not available to him. And he gets irritated because of that. Although they try to take care of providing every facility, you know, they, they make all breakfast and tea and everything is laid out on the table. Everything is done. So that there is no scope for any complaint. And still, at least he had to pick up his own coffee, you know, something like that. Something he had to do. He can find some reason to meditate. And then he tells his wife, what is this? Why do you want to go to temples? Is it not that God is everywhere? Why should I go to temple? God is everywhere. As though he sees God everywhere. The point is that. <laughs> so this is the usual excuse for not going to temple or not performing worship. So I don't need to perform worship. I always think of God as though it is so easy. It's not easy at all. It is true that God alone is everywhere. But right now, I'm not prepared. Right now when I go to temple, when I stand in front of an image, which is of my liking, images are also many in India, of course. Images are many images. There is Krishna also, and Rama also, and Shiva, and lots of images are there. It's not that every image will necessarily inspire me. Depending on my own emotional composition, some image will inspire me. 
and it's only when I stand in front of that in a given atmosphere that my mind is able to think of God and not everywhere. This is my condition right now. That I can think of God only when everything is suitable. Therefore we need a certain atmosphere or and or we need what impresses me right now is the glory of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord. So what is beautiful can inspire me to think of God. What is glorious can inspire me to think of God. Something that is ugly, something that is uh, something that is uh, resentful, something that is inimical, that doesn't right now inspire me to think of God. Right now, something that is loving, something that is friendly, something that is benevolent, something that is beautiful, something that is magnificent, that can inspire me to think of God. And therefore, in the 7th, 8th and ninth chapters, Lord Krishna having described in great detail who he is, how he is the maker and he is the material, how he is everything. And in the 7th chapter and 9th also he went to say that, hey Arjuna, understand, whatever there is in the universe is, I, is my, my expression. Something good, that also I am. Something bad also I am, something ugly also I am, the saint also I am, the sinner also I am. It's all nice, Lord. It's nice to know that you are both the saint and the sinner. But when I look at the sinner, I don't see God in there right now. When I look at the saint, I can think of God. So therefore there is a need for this tenth chapter to help a student provide those the aids so that the student can think of God, can meditate upon God. And the aid will be such as inspires me. I cannot take this kind of an aid, you know, I mean anything can become an aid to think of God. Why well, this cannot be an aid for me right, right now. I cannot look at the part and think of God. But when I have something like this, a picture of Shankaracharya or whatever, when I look at that, then it inspires me, it creates some sorts of divinity. So it inspires me to think of God. So in the beginning, even though God is equally present in this, as well as in this, as well as in that, and still for me, only certain objects can act as aid to enable me to think of God and not everyone. That's why the need to describe the glories or the manifestations of Lord, <coughs> which will help the student to contemplate upon God, meditate upon God. And why do we need to meditate upon God with form? God is manifest. To be before I can think of God that is transcendental, I have to first settle account with God that is imminent. That is also important. <coughs> because this the world, unless I settle account with the world, it is difficult for me to withdraw my mind from the world. For me to contemplate upon transcendental God, I must be able to withdraw my mind from everything. But when can I withdraw my mind from anything? Only when I have a settled account with that thing. <coughs> if there is an attachment for something, I can't withdraw my mind from that because it will attract me there. If I have hatred for something, then also I cannot withdraw my mind because that also will not leave me. The reason why we have a lot of difficulty in, in concentration, in meditation, in withdrawing our mind from the things and beings because we have attachments and aversions and things for them. And therefore, as long as I desire, it is very difficult for me to, to contemplate. 
And therefore, to contemplate upon the transcendental requires a frame of mind, a disposition of mind that enjoys purity, that enjoys single-pointedness. What we call antahkana shuddhi, antahkana naishalyam. Antahkana shuddhi means the purity of the mind. Antahkana naishalyam, which means the single-pointedness of the mind. So when the mind has that kind of a sophisticated preparation, that is when the mind will be able to think of or contemplate upon what we call transcendental, meaning that which is beyond the name and form. As you will see, the process of negation, not this, not this, not this, not this. When can I do that? I am not the body, I am not sense organs, I am not the mind, I am not the intellect. When can I say that? when I am totally comfortable with them. When I am comfortable with my body, when I accept my body as it is, when let's say I love my body, then I can say that, then I can be, in, I can say, I am not the body, because it does not in any way become an obstacle to me. Just to develop the comfort with the whole universe, then alone it is possible for me to withdraw my mind from the universe and see what is the substrate from the universe. So, for us to be able to contemplate upon the Lord in His absolute nature, we have to call the, the nature which is devoid of any attributes, any names, forms or qualities, which is called transcendental or absolute or formless. It is possible for me to first, necessary for me to recognize God in all the forms. So we must settle account with the form to transcend the form. You cannot transcend or give up the form unless a comfort the form has been first developed. And therefore, meditation. There are two things therefore. Dhyanam and Jnanam. Dhyanam, meditation. Jnanam, knowledge. So law is eminent, who is all pervasive, who is what we call saguna, with all attributes. So that God is the object of Dhyanam, meditation. The Lord that is beyond names and forms is the object of Jnanam, knowledge. So Dhyayaha, Gnayaha. Dhyayam Brahma, Gnayam Brahma. Brahma is God. God or Brahman, which is Dhyayam, which is the object of meditation. That is the manifest creation, the manifest God. And the Lord, who is the object of knowledge, the self, is the one that is beyond the manifestations. Here in the 10th chapter, we are going to have both of them. In the 7th, 8th and 9th chapters, Lord Krishna talked about both. He talked about his absolute nature also. At the same time, he talked about his manifestation of the universe. His various glories were described in the 7th chapter, 9th chapter. And so all of that has been done, really. And again it is being done in the 10th chapter. We find a lot of repetition looks like in Bhagavad Gita. What's the need of saying the same thing? Not saying the same thing, but basically unfolding the same thing in different ways. What's the need of doing that? Because it is inscrutable. It is extremely difficult to know. Since it is very subtle, therefore, the teacher says the same thing in different ways again and again and again. So this was said in the 7th chapter, in the 8th chapter, in the 9th chapter. A lot of variations. Not the same thing was said, a lot of variations. But the theme was this. Same is transcendent and immanent. 
The same thing again we find in the 10th chapter where Lord Krishna will describe the, the absolute nature as well as the nature as manifest as the universe. <coughs> and again we find in the 10th chapter, so help us to be able to both meditate upon him as well as contemplate upon him, depending upon the preparation of the student or depending upon my own state of mind. Sometimes I am in a mood to just contemplate upon things and I don't need any aid. Sometimes my mind may be very quiet, very tranquil. Sometimes mind may not be very quiet. I need the help of the aid. So in the 10th chapter also, we find in the beginning the discussion about God who is both immanent and transcendent and the rest of the chapter then is going to be devoted to describing vibhuti or the glories of the Lord. <coughs> And so Lord Krishna recognizes this need for Arjuna. That even though this has been stated in earlier chapters, still the subject matter of theme being extremely subtle, it is very difficult to comprehend and therefore the need to repeat that, repeat the theme from different standpoints. And therefore what has been said in earlier chapters again is being repeated here. As we said, Lord Krishna sees a need and that's why the 10th chapter begins with his own statement. You said earlier, many chapters of Bhagavad Gita begin with a question on the part of Arjuna. And that's quite proper. That this discourse must be given or this teaching must be imparted only when someone asks for it. We should not volunteer to give this Supadesha teaching unasked. Because either person may have no value for it or maybe it can be misused or misunderstood also. So general tradition is that this teaching should be imparted when it is asked for. And still we find many chapters of Bhagavad Gita beginning with the statements of Lord Krishna without any question of the Bhagavad Arjuna. Then we understand that an unasked question is there. Even the Arjuna may not have openly asked a question, there is a question in his mind and that is what Lord is addressing. So here also, looking at Arjuna, Lord Krishna recognizes that he still needs the unfoldment of this. This is incomprehensible, very difficult to comprehend, therefore it must be unfolded again. And that is how Lord Krishna begins the 10th chapter. Let us read the first verse of the chapter. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Bhuya Eva Mahabaho Bhuya eva mahabaho Shrume paramam vachah Shrume paramam vachah Yatteham priyamaya Yatteham priyamaya Vakshyami hitakamyaya Vakshyami hitakamyaya Shri Bhagavan Vachari said, Lord Krishna said, and say it out of, here you say, say it out of compassion or love for the student, recognizing that this is what the student needs and therefore out of love he himself volunteers to, to impart to Arjuna what is needed by Arjuna. Sri Bhagavan Vacha, the Lord said, Bhuya eva Mahabaho, he Mahabaho, O mighty arm Arjuna, Bhuya again, Shrunu me paramam vachah. Shrunu, listen again. 
मैं परमम वचह टू माई वर्स परमम टू माई सुप्रीम वर्स और टू माई एक्सलेंट वर्ड्स वट इज मैन बाई एक्सलेंट वर्ड्स अर्जुना लिसन टू माई वर्ड्स लिसन टू माई स्टेटमेंट और लिसन टू माई टीचिंग विच अनफोल्ड दैट लिमिटलेस सो दैट वॉट मेक्स अ वर्ड ऑल्सो एक्सेलेंट यू नो बिकॉज वॉट इज रिवील टू द वर्ड्स इज अ ट्रूथ विच इज एक्सेलेंट एंड परमम परम मीन्स सुप्रीम परम मीन्स अल्टीमेट परम मीन्स मोस्ट एक्सॉल्टेड हे अर्जुना लिसन टू माई एक्सॉल्टेड वर्ड्स न वर्ड्स आर नॉट एक्सॉल्टेड वर्ड्स आर सेम संस्कृत लैंग्वेज what makes the world words exalted because what is revealed to the worlds is exalted once again bhoya hai again because already this has been said therefore arjuna also may ask why why is it necessary to say this because already this has been said i say i am saying it again why are you saying that again number one because they say it is extremely difficult to grasp therefore i am saying it again Sometimes it may be difficult to grasp, and still you may not say that. You know, depending upon the response of the student, you say, "All right, forget it now." Or enough, you know. Sometimes you say that, and you listen, look at the students. Okay, I will talk about it next time. Something like that, you know. You wind it up. Sometimes the teacher is not inspired. You know, I mean, it's interesting that teacher also needs to be inspired. You'll be surprised to know this. <laughs> We would, of course, expect the student to be inspired by the teacher. Then definitely. But teacher also needs that an encouragement. Isn't that interesting? Amazing. The teacher also needs an encouragement from the student by way of a a warm or a positive response from the student. So when the teacher finds the student is welcoming what he's saying, the student is enjoying what is being said. Student is grasping what is being said. student is attentive to what is being said he is interested and eager in in learning what is being said when this is what is found by the teacher then really that inspires the teacher and automatically things flow from the heart of the teacher so a very beautiful relationship is there between the teacher and student here the teacher is lord krishna and student is arjuna and lord krishna is mighty happy with arjuna Which he reveals, which he says in, in, in very clear words, more than once. In the fourth chapter, also Lord Krishna said to Arjuna, "Bhakto sime sakhacheti rahasyam hedudtamam." Here, Arjuna, I have revealed today this this exalted secret, the secret knowledge I have revealed to you today, which cannot be revealed to anybody and everybody. How come I reveal to you today? Bhakto sine sakhaceti because you are my bhakta, you are my devotee, and you are my friend. Like in Kathopanishad, the teacher there is Yamaraja, Lord Death, and the disciple is Nachiketa. Lord Death is so pleased with Nachiketa. As you know very well, Nachiketa goes to Lord Death, and Lord Death offers him three boons. In the first boon, Nachiketa asks of the welfare, well-being of his father. In the second boon, Nachiketa asks for the well-being of the people of the society. In the third boon, he asks for his own well-being. He asks for the knowledge of the self. Etad vidyam anushistastvayaham. Oh Lord, I want to be taught by you, and I want to gain this knowledge of the self. 
And this kind of a request coming from a young boy really surprised Yamaraja Lord Death. Maybe he could not believe right away, so he wanted to verify whether he really means what he says. And then first of all he tried to discourage him. He says, hey, Nachikata, do you know that? Even gods also have doubts about this. Deva Viratra Vyachakitsatampura. Do you know that even gods, God means those learned ones, you know, those having lot of powers and lot of glories, even they also have lots of doubts about this. Do you know that? Understand that this is an extremely difficult thing to understand. Why is that all? And the Vainasekata better ask for something else. This is not for you. Nasikata said, Oh, even gods also have questions about this? And it's so difficult, so subtle to understand? Then I want that only. Not only that, but none other than you, the great teacher is in front of me. So when you are there to unfold this truth, and when it's so precious that everybody wants it, I want that alone. I don't want anything else. So when discouragement did not work, then Yamaraja wanted to tempt him. What would distract his attention? Hey Nachiketa, give up this boon, give, give up this request, give up this demand. Release me from the obligation of having to give you this Brahma Vidya. Then what? Hey, I'll give you all the wealth. Sadayasaf Putra Pautran Vanisha, ask for sons and grandsons each having hundred years of, uh, you know, longe- longevity. And ask for gold and ask for elephants and horses and gold and diamond and all the wealth. Ask for the kingdom of the earth. Ask for whatever you want. Ask for as long a year length of life that you want. If you are not satisfied with the earthly pleasures, ask for heavenly pleasures. Ask for whatever you want. And thus, without asking, Yamaraja made offered all these things to tempt him. And he was unmoved, unmoved. All these, I mean, people would work lifetime, you know, not one lifetime, millions of lifetimes to achieve these things. All of these just offered in the like that. And the fellow is unmoved. Tavayavahaha, Tavanrutyagite, O Lord Death, please keep your vehicles and your, and your dancers and your dance and, and instruments, keep them with you. I have nothing to do with them. All of these are ephemeral. I want that which is eternal, that is permanent. So when Nasik, I mean Yamaraja found that Nasiketa was unswerved in his resolve, he was so happy. At one point Yamaraja even says, Hey Nasiketa, do you know something? When I was like you, that I actually was tempted. When I was like you, how what is it? How do I how did I become Yamaraja? How did I become Lord Death? How did I acquire this particular position? Or this power is because I performed the rituals to gain this power. Why did I perform the rituals? Because I had fascination for this. So you are even greater than me. When I was like you, I was fascinated by this position in the heavens and therefore I performed those rituals. But I offered you without performing rituals and you have just discarded that. Tvadrungna bhuya nachiketa prashta I wish that I had students like you. So it is not the teachers understand. Teachers have a great appreciation of students. It is not only the student has reverence and love and devotion of the teacher, but teacher has an equal reverence in his own way. The expression of reverence or love is different. Respect is different. But teacher also highly respects the student. 
His respect is in form of providing what the student needs. And respect to the student is expressed in a different way. However, there is mutual love and respect. So just as that relationship existed between Lord Dais and Yama Nashikeda, similarly also a wonderful relation exists between Lord Krishna and Anarjuna. Where Lord Krishna is a lot of not only love but even respect also for Arjuna. And that is being said in the second line here. Yatteham priyamaya vakshami hitakamya. Here, you know, I am telling you this. Again, I am going to say this. Again, I am going to give you that the upadesha of the teaching. Revealing the truth that is limitless, the most exalted. Because, priyamanaya. So, you are the one who is delighting into this. I can see that you are delighting. Ativa amurtamiva piban. I can see, Arjuna, that you are, you are delighted. You are so happy and you are enjoying this teaching. I can see that you are receiving this teaching as though you are drinking ambrosia. So what an amount of joy there would be if I am drinking nectar or ambrosia. Arjuna is almost, is enjoying. Lord Krishna sees Arjuna being happy and enjoying this, this discourses. Priyamanaya, I find that here Arjuna, you are extremely pleased. You are very delighted with this and therefore I am telling you again. Why should you tell me? Just to pass time? Is Lord Krishna saying this because he is happy? Sometimes what happens is you may have to listen to Lord Singh even if you don't want to listen, you know. Sometimes it happens. People when they get microphone and sometimes they want to give it up. Have you seen that in, in some public talks and people get microphone. That's all they want and they don't give it up. And then we are stuck with having to listen whether we want it or not. So is Lord Krishna enthused and enthusing Arjuna? Whether Arjuna needs it or not? He says, no, no. Hitakamya. For your well-being, I am telling you. Hitam. With a desire for your hitam. With a desire for your well-being. Why is it then bring about well-being to Arjuna? See, everybody's well-being may be of different nature. What is Arjuna's well-being? Arjuna clarified right in the beginning. Yashreyasyat nishchitam bruhitan me. Oh Lord, please tell me that by which I can gain nishchitam shreya, nishreyasa. I can get ultimate good. I am not interested in any relative good in my life because I had plenty of it. And I can see that if I get all the relative good, still it is not going to help me, not going to relieve me from this grief. And therefore, please give me that by which I can gain ultimate good. So Lord Krishna says, Hita Kamaya, with a desire to bring your Hita or your well-being, I am going to tell you, give you this knowledge or I am going to unfold this to you. That means, with a desire that you can gain the knowledge of that limitless, gain knowledge of that ultimate good, knowing which nothing remains to be known, gaining which nothing remains to be gained, so that knowledge again I will impart you. Even though it has been done earlier, I am going to do it again, Hitakamya. Because Lord Krishna finds that Arjuna's Hitam, Arjuna's welfare is not yet accomplished. Seeing Arjuna, Lord Krishna finds, even though in spite of discourse of nine chapters, Lord Krishna finds that his hitam or well-being is not yet accomplished. He will not stop until that well-being is accomplished. That's the reason why Lord Krishna goes on until eighteen chapters. And even in the end, Lord Krishna will ask him, Kachidvedachitam Vinashtaste 
Hey Dhananjaya, have you listened to me? Have you listened to what I have said with single pointed mind? Hey Arjuna, is the delusion removed by my discourses, by my, my, uh, my recent format, by my teaching? Then Arjuna says, yes Lord, my delusion is gone. My discrimination has come back. And then alone Lord Krishna stopped. If Arjuna had said that time, Lord Krishna, I am still not clear. I think I am not clear yet. They would, instead of 18 chapters, we would have had 36 chapters. Who knows? So that's the commitment the teacher has. It is teacher like Lord Krishna has a commitment to see that all oh, Upanishads has have commitments. That's why you find Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita also in the form of dialogue between the teacher and the student because it's not really making statements of the truth. So Upanishads are not merely contained by declaring what God is. But in fact, the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, the text of Vedanta, unfold what God is so that the student can clearly see. And the unfoldment will go on until the teacher sees that clarity in the student. And when he says, then he says it also. Nothing more is to be said. So it is also tradition. You find in certain Upanishads, the teacher concluding his discourse by assuring the student, now, hey, O student, O disciple, you listen to whatever needs to be listened to. Nothing more needs to be listened to. Seeing that the student has gained what he needs to gain, he concludes that way. But anyway, this is how we see here Lord Krishna committed to seeing that Arjuna gets this knowledge because it is this knowledge that alone will bring about the well-being that Arjuna is seeking. Somebody may be seeking different kind of well-being. Somebody may be seeking well-being in the form of heavens. Then maybe something else. Somebody wants wealth and some name and fame and power. Well, it will be something else. But Arjuna is seeking well-being in the form of attaining that, gaining which nothing remains to be gained. And that well-being can be achieved only by this knowledge. So Lord Krishna says, again, I will unfold this knowledge. <coughs> Even though I have said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. And that's how the 10th chapter begins with the statement of Lord Krishna. Okay. Om Puranamada Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachyade Puranasya Puranamadaya Puranamivavashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vatvyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om